0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called One, in which we are rediscovering the heart of God and learning that joining Jesus' mission means sharing his heart for the One. Now today, I, I wanna to continue this series we're calling The One. And I wanna to talk to you uh, today about uh, three parables that Jesus tells. And I've entitled the message Heaven Rejoices and it comes from those parables. But as I start thinking about this with you, I wanna just tell you about an experience I had when I was younger. My family and I used to vacation up at Green Lake, Wisconsin every year. And my parents would invite uh, friends, Christian friends from other churches that they'd been part of. And so we'd all gather and rent this big house. And uh, during meals, sometimes we would go out into the community and order food and sit down restaurants. And I remember several times being kind of shocked because some of the people in our group would talk to the servers in a way that really made me really uncomfortable. And I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what mentally they're thinking when they're talking to these people. They, these people must be on some kind of mental list of theirs that makes them less important because what they're communicating to the servers is, I'm more important than you. And I remember thinking, huh, something, here we are at a Christian conference, but we're going to a restaurant and there's a disconnect. Well, I've told you stories about myself. Some of you know that I had an experience once with a manager at Hardee's that didn't go down so well. And I was rude to him and I had to go back. And I, I, I realized that I had this, I had this, idea that I could talk to him, and what I was conveying to him was he was not as important as I was. And I bring all that up because we all have mental lists, and I want to talk to you about that in just a little bit, but if you're following along, here's why we're doing this series. Because we say all the time that we want to see people, including ourselves, people of every generation, giving themselves fully, wholeheartedly to Jesus and his mission. So Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost, he said, but also he wants us to be part of that. So if you're following along, joining Jesus and his mission, here's what it means, sharing God's heart for the one. Sharing God's heart for the one. Now, what do we mean by the one? These parables today are going to unpack that, but the very first parable Jesus is going to tell is about how a shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And we're going to talk about that these next several weeks as well. But we want to keep growing and having the same heart that God has for the one. Now, as we think about this, uh, last week, we started in Luke 15. And we're going to be in Luke 15 for at least two more weeks. What I want you to see is that last week, we learned that the first two verses of Luke 15 show that when the religious leaders saw Jesus welcoming tax collectors and sinners that were gathering around Jesus to listen to his teaching, when those religious leaders saw that the Bible says they grumbled, they growled, the message paraphrase says, they complained, they protested that Jesus was caring for those people. Now, The question I wanna ask this morning, if you're following along in the notes is, why don't they rejoice when Jesus welcomes sinners? Why don't they rejoice? Like, where's their joy? They have no joy about that. Instead, they protest. And the question is, what's underneath that? And in part, I talked last week about the fact that it's heart trouble. Heart trouble, I talked about five different possible kinds of heart trouble. Twisted pictures of God. The idea that God can't wait to judge people that are sideways with him. Or the other mistaken idea that's really popular today is that God can't and won't judge people. So lighten up. Twisted pictures of God. The second idea that we talked about, though, is that also we may have the fear of man. We may care more about what people think, and therefore it can cause heart trouble with us we actually become afraid to talk to them about Jesus or anything that he's done good in our lives. There's also the idea of desires for other things can cause heart trouble. There's so many things in this life. It might be a promotion, it might be a material possession, it might be a relationship, there's so many of the desires for other things more than what God wants to do in our life. Then we talked about self-protective walls so we don't get hurt can cause heart trouble. And then lastly, we can forget the great mercy, the great mercy that God has given to us. And that can all cause heart trouble. Today, I wanna talk to you about another thing that I think was going on. And that is that I believe these religious leaders had a mental list. Uh, Can we show those pictures here? Do you know what I mean when I talk about a mental list? That when you see someone, your mind starts thinking something, okay? So I drew a list there, and the list is this, that on one side, there's those people that matter. They're on the plus side, and then there's the people on the negative side. They, they don't matter much. They're a waste of space. They're a lost cause, whatever. And that's, these, these religious leaders were seeing people that way. Uh, here's another list that I did, important, not important. And when that's going on, and we all have lists, And we all have people on our list. The question is, what do we do with our mental list? And so Jesus, in many ways, in these parables, is going after our list. He's going after that religious leader, group of religious leaders list. And he's saying, come on, if you want to have God's heart, you have to see people the way God sees them. You have to understand how God thinks about people. So I want to talk to you about that today, and I want to take a closer look at these three parables that Jesus told. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I want you to see. To address their heart trouble, Jesus tells three parables in a row. To address their heart trouble, Jesus tells three parables in a row. Interestingly, someone has put it this way. Jesus was so upset over the discussion the religious leaders were having about who matters to God and who doesn't, that he said in effect, I never want there to be confusion on this again. I'm going to tell you not one, not two, but three stories rapid fire to make sure everybody understands who really matters to God. And so he does that in this situation. And if you're following along, what I want you to see is that these three parables have three common threads illustrating God's heart. These three parables have three common threads illustrating God's heart. So before we look at those, would you pray with me so that we too, if we're going to share God's heart, we're going to have to deal with the mental list and the people on those lists ourselves. We're going to have to have the Holy Spirit really probe into our lives and show us some of the things Jesus wants to teach us in these three amazing parables found in Luke 15. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, no one can teach like you can teach. No one can get to us like you can get to us. And so I just want to thank you so much that you are willing to teach us today. And I pray that your word as you open it to us would feed us and fill us and also be a way of feeding us in such a way that we can pass it on to other people that need it just as much as we do. In your name we pray, amen. So have you understood what a parable is? Now if someone asked you what a parable is, what would you say? Parable in many ways is a story. But listen to what, look at what Eugene Peterson says about parables. Jesus' favorite speech form, the parable, was subversive. That means it works underneath the radar. Parables put the listener's imagination to work. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about soil and seeds, meals and coins and sheep, bandits and victims, farmers and merchants. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, They relaxed their defenses. They walked away perplexed, wondering what they meant. The stories lodged in their imagination. And then, like a time bomb, they would explode in their unprotected hearts. He was talking about God. They had been invaded. And Jesus would tell these stories. And sometimes at first, they wouldn't even, they'd just sit there. But they'd be in a person's imagination. And days later, sometimes just hours later, all of a sudden they would go, And that's what I pray happens today as we look at these parables. So would you be ready to read verse 3 and 4 and verse 7 with me in this passage? I forgot to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke 15, but hopefully by me dropping hints that that's what we're looking at today. If you had a Bible, you pulled it out. But if you didn't, let's look at this together. And if you want to follow along, here we go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, would you read verse 3 and 4 with me? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I'll go ahead and read verse 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in fact, I asked you to read verse 7, so I'm going to pause so you can do it with me. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now let me go on. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, "'Father, give me my share of the estate.' So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living." Now, next week, I'm gonna talk more about this third parable, so I'm not gonna read it all today. Some of us have heard it before. But let me just try and talk about the three common threads that we see in these back-to-back-to-back parables. First of all, if you're following along, number one, notice this. Something of great value is missing. Something of great value is missing. The sheep mattered to the shepherd. The coin mattered to the woman. And the son mattered to the father. And if you're following along, notice this someone has lost a sheep, a coin, or a son. Someone has lost a sheep, a coin, or a son. Now, when we hear these stories, we may say, well, why would one, when you have a hundred, matter so much to the shepherd? You need to know that really, the sheep were not only their livelihood, but they lived with the sheep 24 hours. It wasn't like they went into the house, came out and fed them once in a while. Shepherds in those days lived with the sheep. They actually got to know the personalities of the sheep. There was a relationship. That's why when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, David was choosing that metaphor because he knew the intimacy of relationship that a shepherd could have with the sheep. A coin Why would a woman worry about one coin when she has 10? Here's why, because most people believe that this was her retirement or her wealth or her sustaining. Therefore, she could not afford to even lose a 10th of it because she needed to be prepared. She lost one of those. And so she searched it until she found it. And that's why she was so excited to find it. And then there is this father that has two sons and one of those goes missing to a distant country and goes under the worst circumstances possible in the most unloving attitude. And anybody that's ever had a wayward child knows the pain of that and knows how much it only deepens the desire oftentimes for that person. Now, something of great value is missing. That's the first thing. Second, notice this. Number two, what's missing is so important it warrants An all-out search what's missing is so important it warrants an all-out search so again we see the Shepherd leave the 99 can we just stop and say something this is not convenient this is not proportionate this is going to the effort for one and leaving the 99 because the disproportionate concern and effort is worth it in the mind of the shepherd. It's a fascinating thing. And then some people will say, well, what about the search of the father? The father doesn't go after the son. Human relationships are different. Human relationships, if the father had gone after the son and done that, the son might not have come home of his own free will. Nevertheless, the father is searching the horizon every day. How do we know that? Because while he was still a long way off, the Father saw him. And there was a searching desire and heart in the heart of the Father in the third story as well. That which is missing is so important. It warrants an all out search. What's the implication if you're following along? I wanna share a line with you in this next line of the notes. I thought about this, I've already given attribution at the bottom of the notes. What I'm about to share with you, I heard for the first time 35 years ago, and I have never been the same since. And here's what it is, if you're following along. Lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. And what Jesus is doing by telling these stories is, is that something of great value is missing. And it's so important that it warrants an all-out search. And that's why I came to planet Earth. Because if these people that are on your list didn't matter, I would have just stayed where I was and said, you made your mess, now live in it. And Jesus didn't do that. And one of the things that blows my mind is that he tells these stories so that we can get some idea of the Father's heart through subversion, through parable, through that time bomb exploding in our heart. Lost people matter to God. I wanna make sure I'm clear about this because sometimes when you say that nowadays, you go, why of course we all do and therefore let's, you know, let's not worry about eternity. Let's not worry about whether or not people are right with God. I want you to notice what N.T. Wright says. Throughout the chapter, Jesus is not saying that such people were simply to be accepted as they stand. Sinners must repent. The lost sheep and the lost coin are found. The prodigal son comes to his senses and returns home. But Jesus has a different idea to his critics of what repentance means. For them, nothing short of adopting their standards of purity and law observance would do. For Jesus, when people follow him in his way, that is the true repentance. And he doesn't say so in so many words, but I think it's here thereby implication. The Pharisees and legal experts themselves need to repent in that way. And so the idea is, is that Jesus did call. He says this, I came to call sinners to repentance. And how many people are sinners, friends? The Bible says all of us are. And therefore, he does call for a response. It doesn't mean that, you know, just because we matter, that there aren't necessarily things involved in that. But we need to see people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. Wayward people matter to God. I list a whole bunch of verses out to the right. Let me just ask you to look at several of them with me. Here's Romans five, six and eight. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Notice verse eight, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still what? Sinners, we should have been on his mental list and stayed there, but instead he saw us as important. And then notice this next verse here, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And God loved us. And I could give more verses and they're all listed up to the right if you want to read them on your own. But notice the third common thread is that each retrieval leads to great rejoicing. Each retrieval leads to great rejoicing. Do you remember verse seven, what we read together? It says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What Jesus is saying is you have to understand what gets all of heaven excited is that heaven is so interested in restoring people that have gotten away from God that whenever that happens, Whenever it happens, there is a party. There is is so much joy. I've been there, Jesus is saying. If you you haven't been there, I have. I've seen how much joy there is. And because you do not, you, you claim to be in close contact with God, but you are demonstrating that you don't really know his heartbeat. When you don't rejoice, when you see these people hanging around me showing interest, it makes me full of joy that they're willing to listen and consider coming back because when they do come back, that's why I came. Great retrievals, the rescue work of Jesus, the rescue work he wants to do in people that you know and people that I know in the same way he needed to do it with us, this is what he's about. And so if you're following along, here's a sentence that I really appreciate. And this is what I think needs to be reminded all the time in my life. You'll never look at anyone who doesn't matter to God. You'll never look at anyone who doesn't matter to God. Let me just tell you a couple of things that I noticed in my life. So all five of our grandkids were here this weekend, and I got a chance to hang out with them, and so it meant more food than normal. And so last night I went and ordered some pizzas online and went to pick them up. Got back in my car, brought the pizzas home, did the delivery thing, you know, delivered the, what I needed to come through on. This morning when I was out walking, the Lord said, you got into the store and you left and you never even saw who was handing you your food. They were just a means to an end to you. And I want you to see people. I'm not saying you gotta stop and have a long conversation with them. I'm not saying you have to do anything that much different, but they'll feel different if you're seeing them not on some mental list, but as a person that I died for. And I just remember thinking, I I just needed that reminder. I walked through my neighborhood, maybe you do the same thing, and these days, All kinds of different signs are in the yards now for different political parties. I've noticed that sometimes when I walk past certain neighbors' houses and I see certain signs, I find myself labeling them. I find myself immediately having a mental list of which one am I gonna put them on, which side. And I've noticed that that kind of thing prevents me from seeing them the way God wants me to see them I'm not saying we don't need to have convictions. Uh, we're, we need to have convictions, but what I'm saying is if I reduce, label, redefine, or use people or see them that way, I am moving away from the heart of God. And so he's just been showing me different things like that. And I don't know what it is for you, but I wrote this, this list this morning just to kind of jog my mind. Is there someone from a different social class other than mine? that's on my mental list. Is there somebody from another age group? I was thinking about this this morning. Jesus had little children coming to him, and the disciples go, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. Uh, He's busy. And Jesus had to go, you don't get it. I'm not too busy for them. They're an age group on your mental list that you think is a disruption. They are the people that I came, I have a special place in my heart for them too. And I want to change the way your list looks in your mind. I want you to look at children. And he blessed them, he touched them, he loved them. Notice this, that someone of different skin color or ethnicity, this is really on our radars more and more. Uh, Another church or religion, just down the street now, a Hindu temple is going up by my house. And I did some looking on the website to try and understand Who are some of the people that are going to be gathering there to worship, to believe in a different God, and don't know the God who saves? What about other political views? Different? What about classmates or teachers, co-workers or bosses, neighbors, church members, family members? Uh, Some people might say, Jeff, how do I know if someone's on my list? So again, I've mentioned this before, and this is a different person than I met last week. Okay, but this morning, as I was walking in my neighborhood. I turned the corner back into my neighborhood and I looked at a certain house. And I remember thinking to myself, hmm, and here's the way I know somebody's on my list. If I feel any irritation towards someone, they're probably on my list. And that's because I'm in danger of reducing them. I'm in danger of labeling them. I'm in danger of just not seeing the full picture that God wants me to see. So here's a quote that, again, affected me deeply uh, years ago, and um, it says this, you have never looked into the eyes of a human being that does not matter to God. You and I have never, but here's what I have done. I have looked in the eyes of a human being that matters to God, and they didn't matter to me. And that shows that there's something going on in our hearts. And so, as we think about that, I just want to mention to you that there's some ways that you and I can think about this together. And so, here's the last sentence. I think that's the big idea. Until I value what God values, I won't rejoice as God rejoices. Until I value what God values, I won't rejoice as God rejoices. Therefore, when I see certain people drawing near to God, I may go, well, why are those people drawing near to God? I don't know if God's as excited about them. And I start to see them, and I think God sees as I see, but he doesn't. And therefore, I want to be the kind of person, and I want to be the kind of church, don't you, when we see different people that maybe we would have never had a relationship with. If they are part of our church family, and they start showing an interest in God, or they come back to God, Do we wanna be a church that celebrates? Luke was talking about, you know, baptism. Do we wanna celebrate every time someone comes home and responds in repentance? I wanna be that kind of person. But if my heart's all caught up in my mental list, that's not gonna happen. And so as we think about this together, um, I have an application that's individual and also collective. And I wanna do this as we think about communion because we're going to take communion in just a moment. But here's the first one, if you're following along. In order to share a heart that beats with God, are you willing to pray something like this? Heavenly Father, please forgive me for putting people on, quotes here, list. Forgive me. Forgive me for relegating people to some kind of project or list. Forgive me. And then... A corporate or collective one, is renew us, God, to value what you value, so we rejoice with you. Renew us. Let me close before we take communion and just say this. As some of you know we've had a friendship with Fresh Visions Church now for, I think, over 15 years. Pastor Roy Newman and Jackie and, and some of the people in the church family at Fresh Visions And so, again, in the last month or two, we had an opportunity to get together with Fresh Visions elders, our elders did, and we wanted to talk to them about, you know, what some of their thoughts were on the racial climate in our world, and they were so gracious to agree to do that, because I'm sure it probably was challenging enough just to process that on their own. But as we were talking, one of the younger elders from Fresh Visions said, whenever you see... Is some kind of injustice done to any person? Do you do something? He asked that question, do you do something? And we were thinking about that. And one of the older elders from Fresh Vision said, would it be okay if I just alter that question a little bit? He said, when you see an injustice done to someone, do you feel something? I have not been able to get that question out of my mind. And he said, here's why. Because you won't do something until you feel something. And I remember thinking, that's exactly right. And Jesus was saying, you will never move towards people until you feel something for them. And he wants our hearts to be softened towards people that are far from God, or wayward, or irreligious, or that we think are lost causes, or people that we've put on some mental list. He wants our hearts to be soft. So as we take communion, hopefully when you walked in, those of you that are here in the room were able to get one of these plastic containers that has both the grape juice and the bread and for those of you that are at home, we are so thankful that we're able to join together this way. And again, we gave some instructions about uh, having elements that you be able to drink and eat together, and so I hope you have those. Uh, if you don't, again, thanks for participating uh, with us. Just the same, joining in this part of the service, but um, you can uh, grab something close by if you want to. But here's what I wanna do. I want us to remember, that Jesus instituted communion the night before he was crucified. Why? Because he knew that this is a long race and he knew we'd all forget. He knew that we would all need reminders that our hearts can get jaded, hardened, insensitive, And he cared about that enough that he said, I'm going to give you a reminder so that every time you forget that I could have put you on my list, but instead I wanted to restore you. And now I care about people beside you. So I want to renew your heart so that when you interact with people each day, they'll feel something about what I did in your heart. So I want you to, if you take the bread, would you be willing to eat this bread and remember Jesus? And then carefully, as we've been saying with the grape juice, let's remember that Jesus came to seek and to save all of those of us that were lost. And he did it by paying the penalty with his own blood. Drink this to remember Jesus. So as we think about this, can I just give us a way to practice this week? So what if you walk out of this room? What if we as a church family, all collectively together, practice? Because we're not going to get it 100% right till Jesus comes back, are we? Sometimes we'll forget. we have to keep coming back to this. That's why this series is just meant to be a reminder. What if every person you encounter, even your family members, When you look at them, you let this thought go across the ticker of your mind. This is someone for whom Christ died. I wonder what happened to our heart. So do you mind saying that sentence with me? This is someone for whom Christ died. Would you take one more time with me? This is someone for whom Christ died. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.